Hello and welcome to episode 137 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. I'm Gabe. I'm LP. And I'm Will. And we're back again, gentlemen. This is exciting. Uh, honestly, we're back to talk creative research again. And we've got two new uh, two new guys on the hot seat. Should we say hot seat? I don't know. That sounds good. We're going to talk to Brent and Gabe this week. And what I want to do, though, is kind of point people again towards our Discord. Because since we released that last episode, people have been talking about this series. And I want to give a big kind of shout out to LP with for the idea. Um, even my wife listened to it while she was out of town and was just like, I was taking notes. I was thinking about my own stuff. So I think there's something to be said about these conversations. So I thought it was worth mentioning to you guys before we get into the episode. Um, so if you didn't check out episode 136, uh, we talked to um, Nick and LP, and we talked about the works that have inspired them, basically, and and to write and to create and what kind of informed how we think about our fiction. Um, so sorry, Nick, what? Uh, well, I just I do want to throw this out here. We kind of went on hiatus for the newsletter for two months, aka I was really, really busy. That's picking back up in February. So a little breakdown. Uh, what the newsletter is intended to be is to talk about our upcoming episodes for the month, talk about the previous episodes um, that we've liked, um, not necessarily the most recent ones, but just ep- previous episodes that may be applying to the current times. Uh, but the big thing about it, it's community highlight for me, right? Other people in our community and things like that are, are doing stuff. They're getting stuff published. They've got so many different things going on with, between book releases and Kickstarters and things like that and, and just joining up at different events. So jump on our website, sign up for the newsletter. It will go out by the first Friday of every month is the plan. Uh first full week of Friday, I should say, because I definitely won't have it out this week because I'm absent for three days starting Thursday. Uh, But it's something that I'm putting together and I want to grow it and let us know what you guys want to see in the newsletter. Perfect, dude. Um, Yeah. And that's the community aspect. Discord, newsletter, jump in, tell us what's up. We had some nice conversations that actually talked about uh, which we will circle back to about our Drist conversation from, um, from the Nick and, uh, Will episode. So we'll circle back to that probably when it's my turn. All right. So speaking of turns, it is Brent and Gabe's turn. And thanks again, Gabe, for joining us. Um, I'm stoked to have you here again. Uh, I don't know. I just like hanging out with you, man. I'm excited. I'd love to be here. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to do it just like last time. and But I'm going to start with Brent and I'm going to waffle back and forth. So the first question um, that we're going to start with is you guys each chose four works that have influenced you. So what I want to start with is Brent. Why the first work on your list or that you want to talk about? Why were you drawn to this work in the first place, and why did it make the list? Okay, so I feel like I, I should go in chronological order just so it makes sense in my head. Um, so the first book in my list is actually um, a book I loved in uh, middle school that just really like lit my brain up. And it is the Animorphs, the Hork, uh, Bezier Chronicles. That is a, a huge touchstone for me creatively because it was one of those books that challenged my conceptions of what um, what worlds could look like. 
and how what you think something looks on the in in uh, visually isn't necessarily how it can play out in the world. So that's my first one. I love it. And also, I forgot to mention too, we're going to have um, the links to the show notes. Uh, in the show notes, we're going to have links to the works. So I'm going to have you do that, Brent, at some point. Um, okay. But, uh, but also, these questions will build on each other. So if you ever want to come back to Animorphs for something else, you totally can. Since you weren't here the last time, I'm throwing that out there at you. Gotcha. So um, good choice. And let's go to Gabe. Same question. Um, why did this first thing you're going to talk about make the list? God, I hope you go with the one I think I, I think you're going to go with. So, I mean, I've mentioned this one in the other episodes of Refuse to Be Done. It's uh, The Name of the Wind, The King Killer Chronicle. I mean, I was first drawn literally randomly. I found it in a shop, read the back part, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Then I looked for it. It was a nightmare to get it in English here in Mexico. And I think it came to me at a point that I was in that transition of my like my English skill. And for so many reasons, I have paragraphs here of things the name of the wind has done for my writing and my reading. But I would say like for starters, the main thing is that it consolidated my English skill. Like I went back to my original copy and I learned more than 130 words, new words, reading that book. So yeah, it's honestly, it's foundational in my, in my writing career and in reading as well. And I don't know if anybody else has any experience with this book, but this book is, I mean, in my, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's amazing. Uh, we've talked about the book a bunch of times. It, it pops up in writing conversations. Um, the language is immaculate and it's just, it's also a really damn good story. So hell of yeah. a choice, my friend, any comments on either of those books, gents, any experience with Animorphs or name of the wind? Talk to me. I'd, I'd love to hear like how you feel like, how you feel changed by it as a reader, how you feel or how you like direct impacts from it on your work. Okay. Um, actually, Gabe, I'm gonna let you go first. Cause I'm actually going to grab the book to make my point. So for the, I've read this book, this series, well, the, the two books so many times for several reasons. Like I started listening, reading it. I read it physically maybe like five, six times. Because it has so much reread potential. Like one of the things that I admire of this book is the layers in the story and the mystery. It's just insane. Like I've been in Reddit threads with thousands of comments of all the theories. It's just, it's astounding. Like the level of layers this book has. But, and then after reading it so many times physically, I discovered the audiobook, which is spectacular, like it by Rupert Degas. It's the best narration I've heard of any book. And I listened to maybe like 200 books, give or take. And this is just another, it's a masterpiece, another level. And it, I've used this literally to sleep for years, (laughs) given that it's, I know, I I get that reaction and Will has given me a hard time about that several times. That is a me thing. That is not about the story. It's a brain thing. But I, I mean, it's, I've listened to it so much that it really, like, honestly, it has seeped in into my, like, the way I write, really, like, my style, my voice. Not obviously on the level of Pat Rothfuss. That's not my, my skill. But yeah, it, reading my own work, it, it has similarities in the, like, sentence structure and things like that. So, 
yeah, it's it's seeped into my subconscious so much. Nice. Back to you, Brent. Okay, so I grabbed you got your book, book now. <laughs> yes, I grabbed my copy of it though. Uh, so when anyone that's familiar with animorphs knows the imagery of the hork bezier, but if you're not, these guys basically are like ten foot raptor dinosaur birds with blades coming out of knees, elbows, whatever joint you could possibly imagine. So you see this image and you immediately think like, God damn, these things could fuck somebody up. <laughs> and, 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 and that's how the uh, Animorphs initially plays it. Like these guys are used as like shock troops. But then this prequel comes along and throws every conception you have about these, this alien species under the water. They have all these blades, not because they're warriors, but because they're vegetarians and they have to climb gigantic trees. And they needed the blades to be able to ascend these trees. So these guys were completely peaceful. They were they were actually gentle. And and so as and I don't think Kay Applegate was necessarily thinking about this when they created this story. But for me, as a black man, that was so affirming to see something where it was like, oh, yeah, you think these these beings are dangerous because they're just big and tall and strong when really all they are is kind and they just they just want to live their lives and be left alone. And so on that level, it spoke to me. But it also spoke to me on the creative level because she took something that on its surface, your perception would be this is going to be something violent and then turned it completely around. And it totally made sense. And yeah, it, it just for it just really changed the way I thought about like how I wanted to create things and think about them beyond what they look like on the surface and try to go a little deeper. So oh. that's what oh, I love that dude. That is awesome. Um, great examples there, gentlemen. Brent, this is directed towards you. Cause I, I, I too was a very big fan of Animorphs when it first came out, but that series is very, very daunting. Looking back at it now. And my question to you as someone who was, Obviously, I'm white and I don't experience a lot of different things that you guys do. What parts of that book, because you had started mentioning it, but what parts of the Animorph series as a whole do you resonate with that sticks with you to this day? Well, so if, if we're going to talk the whole thing, oh my God, I could go on forever. Um, Let me think of like highlights. But, so so my, my train of thought was like code switching. Like what? What about code switching and stuff like that? Because that's where I'm. I'm learning now and seeing now, like how it could be. Well, f- I guess for me, with that. For me, I guess I didn't really understand code switching at the time I was reading it, so I don't think that that was ever something I was thinking about. I think for me, the things that resonated the most was that 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 series refused to allow any black and white to exist. Everything had everything had light and everything had darkness. And I think mm. like, you know, you got to see the Andalites, they weren't all, they weren't as heroic as you would think that they were. They they could be brutal and, and cold and unfeeling. And the Yurks, yeah, the Yurks were, they were parasites, but when there was that one book where they explained, those was like, I, I never saw colors before. I never got to see sunlight. I never saw the moon, like, you you want me to give that up? Like you want me to give up having all these things and go back to a life in a pool of slime? Like you know, so 
it, it, it just was a very well done like series and just like, you know, the no one got to walk away from their cons- consequences. And I think the frustration people had with how it ended was really the best way for it to end. Because it's like, if you're frustrated, good, you should be frustrated. We should be frustrated at war and and devastation and people's lives being torn apart and people being left never the same after. Like, that's how you should walk away from a story like that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't walk away feeling satisfied. So, um, I think for me, it kind of, it carries with me throughout all my stuff where I don't want, I, I never want to write something that feels like it has an easy ending or it's like a clean cut ending or just, you know, where, where everyone, when someone gets to walk away with their nose clean, I guess. So, yeah, I don't know. It just really resonated with me on that level, among many others. I could talk a whole episode about animals, but well, feel free to come back if it. Yeah, if, if, you know, if, if in these other questions you're like, oh, I got to mention something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm about slime, <laughs> I heard something about slime. I don't know, but that was cool. Um, that was something I never read the animal stuff, so I'm just I love learning about new things. Uh, so let's get to the next one, and Gabe, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, I'm not sure if my question will dictate what work you pick, but, um, (laughs) what craft elements do you admire, uh, or use because of your next work? Oof. Okay. I would need a whole episode. Oh boy. As as Brent's, but (laughs) we just keep opening bigger and bigger things. (laughs) I think guys, (laughs) I've talked about this so many times as well. Greenbone saga. Oh yeah. There's, there's no contention here, even though, King Killer has seeped into my subconscious in so many ways, like craft-wise, and sitting down to analyze it and break it down and see how it works and why it works. It's Greenbone Saga, hands down. And like the main thing for me in this series is that it's real. It it's it's one of the things that I've read that feels the most like the realest in so many in so many ways. Like the characters are. Oh my god! Like it, they are perfect for fan fiction. Like <laughs> they're so well realized and so well developed, and so consistent that it would be so easy to write fan fiction. Like that's the main thing for me. Like you know how every single character is gonna act after you know them, and up to a point that you're, oh, I wish they did this. This would be so epic, but they won't do that because it's not in the character to do that. Do that, and it would break. Like it would, yeah, it would break the flow of the character, the plot, and for example, comparing it to King Killer, this, this is something that there's many contrived decisions that the characters make, for because it was needed for the story, and Pat does, yeah, you can feel it's like, yeah, you, (laughs) this character would not really answer like that, but you needed it for the plot point, but in Greenbone Saga, there's like. By the end, by the third book, you're like, oh, fuck, I know what's going to happen because this character is not going to do this or it's going to do this. So, like, that's the main thing of the big thing of Greenbone. But it's also, like, the structure and pacing is incredible, even even though, I mean, at least for me, even though I've heard people don't liking, like, not liking the pacing. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, I've turned it, like in my I have an Excel sheet which I've talked about before as well the structure all, all those things oh my god it's just incredible and well the world building which is also amazing so yeah it's 
oh, I could do several episodes on this. <laughs> you have an Excel sheet for the structure? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've I done that for it. four books, but Greenbone Saga, I've done it for the for three books. Oh, it's so nice. I love it. I love my Excel sheet. So is there something from the Excel sheet um, specifically? Because I know you're working on a fantasy piece. You have yeah. been. Um, is there something specific that you pulled out of that Excel sheet that is would be present in your work that people, none that people would recognize, but that you literally, because you've read the green bone talk, you're like, okay, this is here because of that. Oh, uh, so much. Like (laughs) I'm working on, on the draft that I'm working. It's been a lot of structure and moving things around. Mm. And I've used that like template, not really template itself, but like I'm comparing that what kind of scene follows what kind of scene also. And uh, like in that, Excel she- in the sheet I put like three act, four act, and seven point plot like mm. next to each other, and then like I can see Damn. the I don't like the commonalities in the plot structures, and then how that works for mine. And I figured out like using that, I figured out in my own story what I needed next, and why something wasn't really working. And it's because I needed a rest for the characters. I needed people, the readers, to digest certain certain information or just have, I don't know, a climax scene be longer instead mm. of shorter, which is, yeah, it's it's been so helpful on this stage of of the novel that I'm at. Damn. Quick question. I, I, I want to see this. I know. I have a lot of questions. I want to see this Excel <laughs> sheet, too. Oh, yeah. For sure. I, I'll share it. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. You know you're going to. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Um, so what's the structure structurally, how would you describe the novel you're working on now? How do you mean? Like three act, four act. I mean, I, the thing that has worked the most for my, for the, my, for this novel is seven point and four act, like not like taking pieces. It's mostly seven point plot, but there are certain parts that I've needed to like shorten or lengthen certain parts and (laughs) and infuse really would be like six point that I've like in the mix of those two. Yeah. It's yeah. It's mostly four. Yeah. Four act and seven point. That's Just as long as that you're adapting. That's all I'm, that's all I was checking on. We're good. Yeah, I, heard, yeah. I heard a modified seven point, which I enjoyed. So yes, that, that <laughs> I, mean, I think that would be seven it. point after this, but I'm glad that we had this conversation. With, with a touch of four act. I like it. Um, all right, Brent, same, same question to you. Uh, what craft elements do you admire in this work that are present in your work? So um, this second one is uh, The Scar by uh, China Mayville. And what I, um, what how that influences my work is just the, um, it's just not being afraid to be as like weird and and just out there as possible with with world building and just like playing it serious like not backing down from you know a weird element being in there and just being like yep it's here deal with it i don't care i'm not explaining it or i may explain it and it's still going you still just got to deal with it but um so the scar is uh for those who don't know it's basically it's uh it's the second book in china mayville's boss log world and so the scar is basically about this woman who's on the run from um by association she was associated with someone who became a great political enemy of the city state she lived in 
And so she's basically like on the run because they're just killing off all this guy's known associates. So she's on the run and she ends up getting stuck in this floating pirate city. So it's this city composed of a bunch of pirate ships that all amalgamate together and they are a floating city that constantly goes around and they raid ships and they add ships into their into their colony. So she ends up getting stuck on this thing. And, and I'm explaining all this so y'all get how weird it is and just how much it doesn't care. So <laughs> this this city of floating pirate ships is run by these two psychotic lovers who like to scar each other. And that's like their way of like being sexual with one another. And they're they're searching for a potentially alien vessel at the North Pole of this planet. <laughs> and uh, composed on this on this pirate city ship, there are there's a vampire captain. There's also a cactus man. He's literally just a humanoid cactus. <laughs> there's there's a group of people that they create weapons using their blood. Like they they like solidify and make. And it, it, and there's this guy. He has this sword that's called the possibility sword. And what it means is. Whenever he swings it, any and all possible angles he could swing it at happens at the same time. So it's impossible to beat him, basically. Oh, that's all awesome. this is happening in one fucking book. <laughs> and and I was just like, he as I'm reading, I'm just like, he is literally just throwing ideas out there and doesn't care. And he doesn't care. And it's like you're you're either along for the ride or you you give up on it. And I was completely in for the ride. I was like, I want to make worlds like this. I want, uh, I want whatever worlds I create to feel so alien and so different that you know that this is a speculative story. It's not a light fantasy. It's not a light science fiction. This shit is weird. And it left such an impression on me. I don't think I've created anything quite that <laughs> quite to that scope yet but that is like a goal i feel like i work towards with everything so uh, i love it the permission to be weird i dig yes. it <laughs> uh any other anybody want to throw any of that out there before i get to the next one good? i'm gonna say i like I, I like how brent reads books in the prefaces was you're either gonna rock with it or you're not like <laughs> That line I've heard so many times on book recommendations, and I just love it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, all right. So secretly, Gabe, I was hoping you might mention Greenbone in this question, just because we, you, well, you were on the, you were on the cruise with me last time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we got to actually meet Fonda Lee, which was. Oh, oh, and that one. No, oh, no, you I weren't on that one. Not. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. Oh, I, I thought about you and I was like, there's pain there. You were yeah. here. No, but you weren't. That's right. It was okay. the previous one. All right. Sorry. I'll skip past that. Okay. So <laughs> my the next question has to do is, is author specific. And so what I want to ask you, because authors are um, people and they have a, you know, I know it's crazy, uh, but they put themselves out there and there's a certain way that they move through the world. I'm wondering if in the next work, if there's something specific about this particular author that um, informs your work or how you approach being a writer and uh, starting with Brent this time. Ooh. Okay. Um, so uh, surprising no one. Um, Max Gladstone uh, three parts dead is uh -huh. a, a huge influence on me. And 
I what I like about Max is that like he's just so damn smart. <laughs> he's he's so smart and it's like and it's effortless it's just effortless how smart he is. He's one of those people that like I don't even think he realizes how smart he is when he moves through a room. And um but and, and I think that's the best kind of um I think it's the best kind of smart because you you don't wear it as a bludgeon. You don't use it to 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 um to demean or make put yourself in the position of being better than someone because you don't even realize it. You're just that smart. <laughs> and so I I definitely what I take from him as an author, I definitely strive to just learn more and to just know more so that you know that um yeah, that I could just carry myself in that way because I think it's just so impressive that he's just so damn smart. So I love it. All right, Gabe. Oof. It is, I mean, for this question, I would say it's two authors. Okay. My next uh, the series is The Reckoners by Sanderson. And he actually takes, I would answer him in this part because the thing that I admire of him the most is how kind he is to his, to his readers. Honestly, he could be signing for hour or five hours, and he's gonna still be smiling, still still focus on the on the readers. And also, he was all his his content online is what I consumed when I started as a writer. Like being serious as a writer, I learned so much from him, like so so much from him that it's foundational as well. But and in the recent years, it's found elite, obviously, is like both their skills in teaching are just honestly they're extraordinary like and i love that they've they've spent so much time like fonda has done so many podcasts so many episodes just teaching and she is what brent was saying in it's a similar thing that i feel with fonda that she's just so smart in every single topic she touches upon about not even not just writing in life also like she is just incredible in that respect and uh, yeah, I I keep learning from her and from Brandon as well. Like, yeah, yeah. And and having met both of them too, you're right, Gabe. Yeah. I, Brandon is it's amazing. Like, you know, to be able to just keep talking to fans and just keep yeah. doing the thing. You know what I mean? If it, it, it when he shows up to do a thing, he does the thing. And it's like mm-hmm. you know, having been on both sides of it, sometimes I'm just like, okay, it's. It's 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 clearly time for you to go, you know. But he lingers, yeah. and I think that's I think that's a big part of it. Um, Fonda is awesome as well, and the teaching thing, I really admired um, Fonda Lee on the last Writing Excuses cruise. Um, did a class, and I just I think I was gonna start the recording and then run away, and then I just ended up posting up in the back and just like standing there watching her because she's just so so good, so smart and, um, and truly trying to give back to the community yes. because, um, because I think that's something that, uh, a lot of us who admire writers, if we get to that position, want to make sure that we do the same thing, right. We're giving back as yep. much as we can. I think that's, I think that's an important conversation for sure. Yeah. And actually, uh, the thing that I, I want to mention also with Brandon is that he has like inspired me. One of my goals at some point is to obviously be be there as you said like trying to give back in the teaching wise but i would like to do that in spanish and bringing all that 
into fiction for I mean, Latin America because there's so many things that we're so focused here in literary and so many other things and still fiction is looked down a lot here. So I would, Brandon was the first teacher in writing that was like, yeah, shit, I would love to do that here. Yeah. So, yeah. Gabe, side note, I don't know if I, did I ever tell you the story about how I met um, Gabriel Marquez, Garcia Marquez's uh, nephew and I was in Colombia for a little bit. Like, yeah, <laughs> we got to talk. It was really, uh, we can Ooh. talk about it later. But yeah, when you yeah. brought up the literary part, that made me kind mm-hmm. of think of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, any other comments, uh, guys, about uh, LP's got a face on? I don't know if that's significant or not. <laughs> Very significant. No comment. People not benefiting from the video feed are seeing LP's face right now. But uh, but yeah, so we can move on. Um, so this question uh, didn't, I don't think, come across the way I wanted to the first time we did this. So I'm kind of going to maybe shift it a little bit, but um, it's kind of a harder question to, to wrap your mind around. So think about the work that you have left. You each have one um, and think about your current work or work in progress or, or whatever you've got work in, you know, in the works. Uh, is there something that wouldn't exist that you've written or that would just be, yeah, that just wouldn't exist or be so different uh, than what it became if you hadn't consumed the next work on your list. And Gabe is first. I know you were hoping I wasn't going to say that, but you're first. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this... You can start by talking work, about the work at least, and then... Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the next uh, work that I put in was the African Immortals series, yeah. which is by Tanana Rivdu. It starts with My Soul to Keep. And that was, for many reasons... That was that was the first book that I that we had for book club in my writing group, The Immortals, and uh, that was the first book that I dissected like as a group, and that for for years I had spent years without having a series that I just wanted to devour, and this was it. Like I read the f- four books in two and a half weeks. I think I read the first one, and then I read the next three in two and a half weeks. It was just, oh my God, it's so, so good. And that's the first time that I, as a writer, I started. That's what kickstarted the Excel sheet, actually. the My first Excel sheet was for uh, my soul to keep. Interesting. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, it was the first time that I started thinking of all these things that we've been talking about with that series. Okay, before Will? we go to, oh no, I'll go to Will first. And then I want you to, I'm going to make Gabe answer the question. Go, Will. When um, we read My Soul to Keep, what was it that triggered you thinking about all of these writing questions? What was like, remember when we were just like, oh my God, there's just so many things that we went over in our discussion. But like, you said that it was like the first thing that like, the first book you took apart, right? So what was it that just like sparked that in the book? What made you think like, I got to look at the way um, she's doing this book because it was viscerally so, you were so into it. Because I remember us being on Discord going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear and it's 
like the way she wrote the suspense of it and the pacing. It was just so gripping. Like even if it had those little rest moments, it was so fucking gripping. I could not stop. And I was like, how is she doing this? Through the whole book and then the series, like the whole series, I was just so hooked. And there's other things like she like this the blending she does of fantasy and science and also putting in real historical events it's oh oh my god it's just it ticked so many boxes but yeah mainly it was the pacing and the suspense that it was just so gripping so back to my question then Mm -hmm. is there something that you've written that wouldn't exist in the way it does if you hadn't taken apart this book and read this book i was looking for my copy on the shelf but it's inside i just remembered Mm -hmm. but on one of my other mini bookshelves but what do you got i mean more than not existing it's i mean i've been i've been writing the novel that i'm writing for since 2015 and it has changed so much and the biggest change came from after reading this book okay because i going back to my books like yeah i need it was Typical high fantasy with not the best pacing. Not there, there was no some suspense here and there, but this was it kickstarted so many changes in my story. And also the visceral part that Will, Will mentioned in that story. And it helped me to, to bring my story into more being more real. And then ever, and just wrapping it up with Greenbone Saga. It was just like being brave enough. Yeah, I, I guess that would be it. Like it gave me the courage to try things, to make things real and be mean to my characters. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. All right, Brent. Switching to your last okay. one. So this, um, and I say this with no exaggeration, there would be no writing by me if not for this book because before I read this book I was going to give up on writing. I was at the point where I was just like, eh, okay, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of this this chase. I don't know if I even want to go through this. I don't think I'm good enough to do this. Like I was going to give up. And so the book is Acacia by David Anthony Durham. It's the first in a trilogy um, it's called the um, War with the Mean, and um, it's it's seven hundred fifty pages. It's an epic fantasy, and I think more than anything else, what made me go, "Oh, maybe I won't give up," is that this was written by a black man, and I hadn't seen that before. And when my friend, it was a coworker, because this is when I was working, I was working third shift. It was a couple of years after graduating from college. And he knew I liked fantasy and he liked fantasy too. So he hands me the book and he was like, read this book. I think you'll like it. And I absolutely loved it. It was, it, it, it made me, it, it's the single reason why I decided to write again. Like I read this book and I was like, you know what? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm doing something like this one day. And, and I, and the reason I said it was because I was like, if if there was a me who needed a him, maybe there'll be someone else that needs a me at some point. And so uh, 
yeah, so that this book, sink hands down, I, I, there would be nothing by me if not for this book. So, oh, Ren, you're hitting me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, one of my favorites. Like I, 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 I like yeah, if it's one of those things where, like, if I need to remind myself when I'm down and like, okay, why am I doing this? So, like, do I, why do I need to keep doing this? I just grab this book and I'm like, yep, okay, keep doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. So before we get to the last, I might, I'm going to throw another question out there. Uh, but Will and Nick both, oh yeah, I guess I don't have to Nick or Will first. Sorry. So what is it about that book though? That made you not give up? Like, what was it? Was it the characters? Was it the way it was plotted? How did it speak to you in a way that was like, no, <clears throat> I want to keep on writing. This entire book is one of the most damning critiques of chattel slavery in epic fantasy that I've read and still have ever read to this day. And to see such a, um, a core part of the black American experience get vivisected in this, in this way through epic fantasy was just, I don't know, for me, it was just like, Oh, we can do that. Like, Oh, (laughs) We can we can we can call them out to their faces and 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 tell them this thing that they did was horrible and 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 you know not necessarily um keep it it's still it's still this is still entertaining it's still a great epic fantasy it's still like magic and dragons and and great armies and shit and it it was just um but we could still use it as a vehicle to critique history and critique um, parts of history that people try to not not look in the face. And also, too, that this book did something interesting that I hadn't seen in epic fantasy before, too, that really, I remember this moment. It used biological warfare, but it used biological warfare right out of what was done to the natives here. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a scene, so I'll, I'll explain it. So there's a scene where there's um, an invading army, they're coming in, they're, con- they're, they're going to conquer it, and the empire that's the present empire is like, we're you're you're not going to beat us. Why are you even trying? You need to give up now. And so the guy who's like the conqueror, he's kind of like brash, and uh, you know, and he, he walks up to the dude and he's like, "No, I'm I'm going to beat you." And he kind of like brushes him on the face and then like walks away. And then he three days later, his army marches in. Everyone's sick with fever. They're all dying because him and his people had gotten sick with a virus that he knew the other people didn't have yet. So oh. with a single brush of the guy's face, he took out a whole enemy army. And I was like. Fuck. <laughs> that was right out of history. And so um yeah, it was just things that that book did and it also it also fed my need for the dark queen cuz like there's uh this also critiques Narnia in a way too. So there's four there's four two princes and two princesses and the one that you don't think would go dark, the prissy pretty one who's like the great beauty She's the one that goes dark. She becomes the dark empress, the dark queen, and she goes, you know, on this journey. And it just, I don't know, all the in all the ways this book could feed my soul, it definitely fed my soul. So, uh, I love it, Nick. What are you gonna say? Question for the both of you, Brandon. I'm gonna read that book. So, book club. Looking back now. And all the things you guys have learned over the years, things when you first read this book, you didn't realize were happening. 
What's the biggest thing that you've learned from these books on a reflection period? Well, I think the common theme that runs through all of my choices is that these are books that um, challenge the way that uh, that things are normally done with storytelling. And I think if there's any common thread, that's that's the thing I, I take from all of them is that I'm always thinking about like, okay, like three three parts dead, an epic fantasy that really takes place in a very urban secondary world, um, the scar. Just a a batshit collection of ideas that is played serious. And in, in, in any other world, it, it would look like a kid digging through a toy box and just making <laughs> making stuff work. Um, you know, uh Animorphs just challenged the idea of like like judging by people by their appearances, not allowing um allowing people space to be multiple things at once. So I think for me at least, if there's anything upon reflecting on these books, it's always like thinking of how to tell the story differently, how to be, I guess, uh, a little more broader in terms of my thinking. So, yeah. I love that. Gabe, same Hmm. question. I mean, I'm, I read The Name of the Wind when I was 18 and I've read it so many times. Like my estimation is above 50 times given the listening and I've grown while listening. I've grown up while listening to this book and there's to these books. And honestly, I've damn, I'm, I'm thinking so many things, but I've learned so much in a positive and in a negative way, what to do and what not to do on a craft level. Cause there are some parts that I, I'm like, Oh dude, why, why do you do that? Like why, from a craft level, like why I would never do this or these words are, these are too many. You're repeating, repeating this so many times. Like I've come to that point that I know and I can think of 10 words that he uses so much that I am so annoyed by. But also on a, as a human, on a human level, like there's many things of those that, those have, that have read King Killer Chronicle, it's. Ah, uh, it's uh, there's several things. Main thing, the sexism there, and like at this point, I'm like, did he not have? Okay, I, I mean, I'm I'm going I'm going for the for the stab here. <laughs> like, did he not have women in his beta readers, or did he not take that feedback? Because there's some things that made me make me cringe that. To this point, I just fast forward those mm. parts, and it's oh yeah, it's so I, I'm I'm sweating thinking of those things. That it I got to a point that I made a list of all the female characters in King Killer. Yes, because I make Excel sheets. I was gonna say, lists. is there a list? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a list <laughs> of and above ninety percent are sexualized. Mm. Damn, that's too At high. some point in the, <laughs> yeah, I have Excel problems, Nick. <laughs> so, oh well, tell me, I'm thinking things. Speak. Either he didn't have them, or if he did, I wouldn't be surprised if the women didn't say anything, because some things yeah. are normalized. That's what I think too. <laughs> into um, I um... wait, let, can, let me finish, Nick. Some things are normalized 
that people just think, oh, well, that's just how men are. Especially when you think about at the first book, when the first book came out. You know, like, yeah, it wasn't like that long ago, but in a lot of ways, the way that we've progressed and since Me Too, like all of these things Mm -hmm. are being asked and reanalyzed and looked over. And women will tell you when you listen to them that's happened, but sometimes, you know, we're so inundated with another narrative that it might not even have crossed the women that he had read them. Or maybe they did say something and he's just like, oh, no, that's not what I meant, and just tossed it aside. So it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I I do think it's interesting. Um, Can confirm, though, that there were female beta readers, because I've heard this story Mm -hmm. from certain sources, um, you know, and, and things were changed because of beta reads. But I also think too this is this is a bigger lesson on like intentionality, and I think that's where I have a problem with it. Is like ignorance is one thing, but like building world that intentionally does this that that's where like I see the problem in in going through and hearing the number of like ninety percent of the women are sexualized. Like that's yeah. that's purposeful in, in my opinion. You're you're oh, yeah. building a world to do that. But if you're doing it just to do it, that's where I'm like, are we not having a larger conversation? Or are you just building a world to mimic what you know? And I think that's my biggest critique of the book along with that. See what oh, yeah. lines is. <sighs> I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. No, well, I'm, but also I'm, the fact I'm, that Gabe knows when he's going to fast forward the audiobook because he doesn't want to hear it. Like, that that that's something too, right? Sorry, Gabe. It's, I think I cut you off. No, no. I I on as other thing. I could do an entire episode just on that topic for King Killer, because yeah, it's it's so deep. It's not just it's both intentional and unintentional in a hurtful way. Like to be honest, like well, yeah, we can many things in in sexism and many topics. Yeah, our intention might not be harmful. But if it harms, we have to do something about it. Like there's, there's the biggest, well, in top three of the egregious things he does in the in the second book. There's a very overt. It's not all men. Mm. If you know that kind of meme, it's because, but in in such a way that it's like, how no one told you this, like. And every time that I, because it's a really good scene, and then it's destroyed by that little piece. And every time that I listen to that, I like, but it, it is all men. Like, fuck, go read, go read things. And it just makes me so angry. And oof, yeah, we're going on a big tangent here. But well, yeah. And I think, and I don't know if Nick's going to say this too, but this is the second episode we've done of this. And we've had to kind of put another conversation aside and i think it's kind of nice that this these i mean in a positive way to what you're saying which is also which is horrible but the fact that we're having these conversations and we can come back to them and we will come back to them Mm -hmm. um at some point i think it's i think that's important uh nicholas yeah well i just maybe this is an idea here for will and marshall and shingai and samin but like we we do talk about you know these books as positive influences and Gabe's kind of talking about, well, there's also a negative side too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting topic. You know, what canon do we have? What books do we have that we had a negative reaction to 
that also shaped us too. Cause I'll, I mean, I'll throw it out there right now. Jim butcher for me is not someone I'll read mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that first book, that mm-hmm. first scene, Ooh. you know, like that was so horrific to me that I, I read the book because everyone wanted, like everyone's saying he's the best out there in the urban fantasy. And that first scene, I was like, no Dresden files. Well, um, yeah, Jim Butcher in the Dresden Files. Like that opening scene, I did not did not agree with um, at all, um, and that made me not want to read any of it. Um, so, and was laughing. And I don't know <laughs> if it's I don't know if it's necessarily I'm reading the chat. I don't know if it's necessarily good, as in good versus what is super popular at the moment. And 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 you know, I remember when those books. You know, my wife read all those books too. You know what I mean? And it was just like one of those things where like dude kind of blew up and everybody was all about it, but there's some problematic stuff and like, and I'll bring up some stuff when it's my turn too. I think it's, I think it's important that even though we are having these conversations about stuff that kind of built our readership and our writingness, that's not a thing. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like I said, writerness. Yes. It's been a long day, but, uh, but what I'm saying is, is like they're on the list still. Right. And we acknowledge that the, the, the problems, but they still are on the list of four. And all the stuff that we've read, so mm-hmm. that has to that has to that has to uh, mean something. We've talked about problematic authors in the last episode, right? With Orson Scott Card, with Nick. Um, so that's just one of those things. I think it's it's part of these conversations. I think is awesome. Um, I think so, I think it's also like yeah. a conversation about privilege, though. So it's like, you know, the only time that I've ever been inspired to read Lovecraft was after I read The Ballad of Black Tom, and it was just so that I could read what. Victor Laval was ricocheting off of. Um, but I still haven't read it because it's still Orson. Uh, that's Orson's got card. It's still Lovecraft. HP Lovecraft. It's Lovecraft. a trip. It's a trip. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of the reasons that personal canon is so important because it's not just a conversation about like, you have to read Asimov and Heinlein and Lovecraft and, you know, run down your list. It's like, what speaks to me and why does it speak to me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not going to read any... When I was in, when I was <laughs> taking classes at UCLA Extension, this teacher whom I love assigned two stories that I found so fucking offensive. One of them was A Good Man is Hard to Find, and the other one was The Secretary by Mary Gateskill. And I'm just like, this is so casually racist. It's racist as a, as a, as a, as a part of world building. It's racist to like, <laughs> and I'm just like, this is fucked. I shouldn't have to have, have this experience in a school setting. Or, and then the Mary Gateskill story is like about a woman who gets sexually, I'm sorry, y'all, the spoiler warnings. This is, it's 2024. These stories have been out for decades. Um, a woman who gets uh, sexually harassed and assaulted at work. And like, she has responses to it that, you know, my instructor was like, you know, this isn't the Me Too movement. You know, she she's a complicated woman. I was like, mm, rape is a complicated experience, bro. Like, but like, you can't have these conversations with everybody, right? So it's like, we you have to be. I say this as a as a writer. I say this as a reader. I say this as a person in the world. We just have to be super intentional about what we allow into our writing life and what what informs us. I'm never going to uh, what's her name, Connor. Connor Flannery, oh, Fl- what what is that woman's name? Um, Flannery O'Connor. Thank yeah. you. I'm yeah. never going to read anything else by that woman because of that story. I um, read 
a ton by her. But You're an English I, major, right? Yeah, see that, that I was just about to say that my my being an English major, I had to read I mean we came up with an acronym for it, uh the D Wombs, the dead white European males. So <laughs> we, we had so many of those. So we were like, Oh yeah, this class is about to be a bunch of D Wombs and <laughs> and, and and sure enough it like would that. be. Uh-huh. And you know, and Flavor O'Connor, she wasn't a D one, but she was a uh she was in that school of writers and we were even like, wait, she ain't like us at all. Like thoroughly hated hated us. And um but well I guess I guess my uh what I was gonna say to that is that um I'm not gonna tell anyone to read these people when they uh when you know, especially like I don't know, for instance, like a Jim Butcher or or uh Whoever is popular at the time, but I do think that there is some value in figuring out why they're popular. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily reading the work. It, it, I wouldn't tell anyone to torture themselves if they don't want to. Child. But I do think, as, especially from a um, from a business aspect, at least from a business and marketing aspect, there is some work in figuring out, like, okay, why has this writer tapped into the readership, and what is it about? what they're doing that 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 strikes a chord with people i agree with that no i like that too um so to to wrap this up because we could do this forever obviously um i kind of phrased this question a little differently last time but we kind of end usually with you know what keeps you writing right but what we want to do with this series is encourage people like i said like my wife who listened to this most recent episode and was like taking notes and stuff what would you tell people after looking at your list and what you've talked about tonight? What would you tell people to help them kind of cultivate their, make their own little list of, of what informs them? What should they be looking for? Um, especially whether they're a writer or reader, but obviously we're focusing on writers. Um, either whoever wants to go first, fine. You want to take a game where you want to be? Okay. Oof. I'm thinking, go ahead. Okay. If you have I'll, it. I will. I'll, I'll let you think I'll take it. Um, for me, I guess if you're thinking about what you, how you want to build your canon, don't think about it. Honestly, I, I think that would be my advice. Don't think about it. It's it's going to just come to you because the work that's meant to be in your canon is not going to leave your mind. It's gonna it's gonna take root and it's going to it's going to sit there no matter what. Like all the books I named, I I didn't read them with the idea of like, oh, this book is going to influence me forever. It was after I closed that book, and I was like, "God damn! Wait, <laughs> what did I just read? Like, what what just happened?" <laughs> and and it and it just it just stays with you, and it does not leave you. And it's like one of those things where it's like it's almost like a parasite. It just it's in your body and it's in your soul, and it's not <laughs> going anywhere. And there's no amount of medicine you could take to flush it out. So. I guess that would be my advice. Like, don't think about it. Just keep reading. Read read what calls to you and also read widely. And you 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 never know. You'll just you'll run into the books. I love it. Book Parasite. Love it. Uh Gabe, what you got? Hmm. Anything? I'm my thought is to push a little bit back on that in the not thinking, because by not thinking, my first answers were like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Yeah. Because that was my formation as a reader. But now being conscious of the things that I'm reading and picking apart as a writer 
is like a different conversation, related, but different. In the sense that, yeah, Kingkiller, I've read it for so long, so many times, Harry Potter, before things, which we could also talk, oh my God, talk yeah, for long. Another one. <laughs> um, oh, I read it more than 80 times, reading and listening to. So it's, yeah, I'm a deep consumer, LP. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love Stop it. talking about my face on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, he made a face. And it does Lord of the Rings, I watched those movies and read the books in conjunction hundreds of times. But so in that in that sense, yeah, it's very clear the things that have influenced, the thing that I like, that I love, and that I look for in stories, maybe in beats, in themes, in types of characters, worlds, magic, all those things, like the basic things that I love, that I enjoy. But now as a writer, it's this thing that we often talk about in how... Sometimes you're reading something and you turn off your writer brain because it's so good and you're so into it. But yeah, there's sometimes that it's really good to sort of force to have your writer brain on if it's something that you know you can get something out of. Or as some people do, a couple of friends, they do, they read a thing and then they reread it with writer brain on. Mm. So it's, yeah, it. And while making this list, I had to sit down and think really the things that had influenced. Obviously, Greenbone and King Killer was a no-brainer. I didn't think about those being my my go-to books, but the others were like, yeah, I had to dig down. And also, I mean, that's how I work. As you as you see, I am I have an Excel problem, so I think <laughs> things a lot. Maybe you are an Excel problem. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I am. (laughs) (laughs) And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.